I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told. So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hey everybody and welcome to another episode of the Athletic Hockey Show's Prospect Series. I'm Max Boltman and with me as always is our resident prospect expert Corey Pronman. Was coming to us. Are you still in Kitchener, Corey? You just at the, the CHL Top Prospects game this week. Yeah, I'm still in the area right now. Just hanging out in Ontario for a little bit, doing some OHL stuff. So obviously, it was a uh, well, it was a pretty tightly contested game last night uh, in Kitchener. I was able to watch it on NHL Network. You were able to watch it up close. We could debate who who had a better view of the game um, from from that perspective, but uh, we could just start off because the the game was opened by and, and one of the top players in that game was. The consensus uh, number one overall pick as, as of this point, Shane Wright, uh, and a pretty good performance from him. Right. Well, he had uh, Team Red's only goal. And even though I, I think he was named player of the game for Team Red, I thought his performance was kind of like up and down. Um, like the, for his first couple of shifts, he was, uh, you know, very, no- very noticeable. Gets a breakaway in his first shift. Second shift, three on one that leads to the goal. Uh, his line was definitely the best line uh, in the in the game. Although they, they kind of moved uh, seven off off his wing sometimes, put Matthew Savoy up there. Um, but then, like in the second half of the game, I mean, they didn't, Team White had the puck for most of the game. Team Red, where Shane Wright played, uh, didn't really have the puck that much. And I just didn't feel like after that first period, he really did all that much. But I mean, again, he was, you know, probably the the first second best player on Team Red in terms of terms of the skaters. He was, and I also thought that, you know, he did show, and this is something that we've known about Shane Wright's game for a while now, is he is the kind of player who has a lot of detail in his game already. He was still good on the, on the boards and in the corners. These are things that NHL teams are going to like about him. And, and I think, you know, even if maybe the, the dynamic plays weren't uh, as plentiful as he might have wanted to see, I think he still showed he's a really complete player in this game. Yeah, no, I, I like those aspects of his game. He's you know responsible defensively. He can win battles. Uh, I, I watched him uh, on this past Sunday um, in a Kingston Frontenac's game. And I, I was really impressed by, by how good defensively he was. 
uh, to go with, you know, rather good offensive components too. You know, he's he's an excellent player, but he's a really boring, excellent player. He's just he's like really well rounded. Um, but I'm not sure he's ever going to be the best in, on an NHL team at any one thing. He's not going to be your best skater. He's not going to be your most skilled player. He's not going to be your best playmaker. Um, but he, he does a lot of things very, very well. And the, and the shot is, is the other thing that maybe he would have a chance to have the best on an NHL team, depending on the team. Yeah, no, his shot's very good. Interesting thing, though, this season is he has like a 2-1 to one assist to goal ratio this season, which is not what I thought would be the case coming in. Not such a bad thing necessarily, but um, I mean, I guess it depends what those numbers are. Uh, if you if you said that, no, no, because yeah. I just when I've watched him before, I always thought his shot was a differentiator. He scored yep. nearly forty goals as a fifteen year old, nine goals in five games at the U eighteen World Championships. Um, I always thought like his shot was was his money maker, and you know this season he still shows he's he scored several you know mid long range goals, but it's been his playmaking that's been a bigger driver of his offense this season in in the OHL, anyways. I'm curious for you. I mean, he, he did test. I think, I think Matthew Savoy ended up testing the best in, in some of the skating drills that they did at the top prospects game, but, but Shane Wright tested pretty well, um, in, in, in a lot of those categories as well. How much, if any stock do you put into these kind of tests that they run combined? Like, I guess it's the closest thing you'd get to like the 40 yard dash and the three cone that you get for the NHL. Yeah. Historically, I don't put huge value into it. Uh, it's something you, you, you notice and you look at it and it's, it's part, you know, in, you know, it could be something that could check your previous biases. If you walked in and I know some scouts and I've said this before, I, I don't agree with it anymore, but I said before, like, I said like Matthew Savoy, I don't think is an amazing skater and he has the best, you know, 30 meter um, results both with and without the puck. You're like, okay, that's, that's interesting. But I, I remember, watching Arthur Kaliev and he had among the best results in these and anybody who watches him will not tell you he's like an amazing skater. Morgan Frost tested very well at this. He's not a great skater. So you balance those kinds of things. Like when I was watching like Savoy skate in the testing, I, I was, I was there watching them do it. I didn't think he looked like a burner in that, but, but you know, maybe your eye can't catch the differences of of a hundredth or a tenth of a second kind of a thing, sure. and, and and maybe he is really one of the fastest players. I mean, I think he's. I watched him in a game for with the ice played about a week or so ago, and I thought his skating looked really really good in that game. Like he was flying around the ice, so I definitely can buy that being a being a big strength. Um, but but right right, he's a he's a great athlete. His skating is absolutely an asset. He's got a good size. Um, although I think when they measured him. Uh, along with all the other top prospects, I think he lost an inch. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> That's unfortunate. But but he is he is a very good athlete, very physically developed, uh, and you know, like I said, a very well rounded player. So what down to six one? I think he was six one. Went down to six zero. Oh. oh, okay. All right. Well, uh, you brought up Matthew Savoy. Let's just get right into him um, and really his teammate, Connor Geeky. I thought both of whom um, – I mean, they played on opposite teams, which is nice. They've been playing the whole whole uh, rest of the season together. Um, I noticed them both at various times in the game. I kind of found myself a little more drawn to Savoy, but, um, yep. you know, Geeky obviously, you know, his size makes him stand out in general. Yeah, I agree. I thought both played very well. I thought Savoy, in my opinion, was was Team Red's best player in that game. I don't think he was outstanding, but I think if you look just – there wasn't really a guy on that team that consistently kind of drove the play and created chances, and I think Savoy was that. 
I thought he competed very hard. I thought he used his skating well. I don't think he showed the dynamic playmaking that you were used to seeing from him in the Western League. But I still think that he had a very positive game. And Geeky, too, I thought had a positive game. I think he showed the skill, the creativity, all the offensive instincts that you like in Connor Geeky to go with the big 6-3 frame. There was a lot of times he tried to do things that didn't connect, but we saw him attempting to connect the dots and try to create an opportunity. The thing with Geeky is, whether you're watching him on video or, or watching him live, uh, the skating's kind of heavy. You saw quite a few times to be coming down the wing. Uh, there was one time he got around the defenseman Maverick Lamaru and, and got to the net well to create a chance right at the net. But there's a lot of times he just couldn't. He would come down the wing and has to pull up or gets his, gets a play broken up because he can't get by the guy because of his skating. And, and that's going to be the big point of debate with NHL teams because I think a lot of people really really like this player, but but can they get past the skating? How do you differentiate him at the same age from a player like Dylan Strome? Uh, well, Dylan Strome at the same age was like a 120-point player at the OHL. He was a dominant junior player. Tools-wise, tools-wise, I should say. Yeah, right, right. But, but it's just a difference. Is like, yeah, you know, no, it you is. Know, yeah, I mean, Geeky's, I think, is an excellent player. If he wasn't on that, that team, if he was on a slightly worse team, I think he very well could be pushing 80, 90, 100-point season. Because he hasn't always been on the first power play unit uh, this season in Winnipeg, which interesting note about that team is I was watching the last couple of games. Savoy's not on the first power play unit either. They put the 16 year old Zach Benson in Savoy's oh. spot that he that he has been in before. We'll see if that uh, persists into the playoffs. But but that's definitely a, a variable with Geeky. But I think your point is valid. Is Strom was this big center, great skill, great playmaker, really heavy feet. Um, I would say. Geeky skates a little bit better than Strom's at the same time. I would say Strom had a little bit more offensive creativity. Not really an absurd statement to make for a guy who was like a 120-point player on a great team. Uh, that was a team that had, to, I believe, McDavid was in there. In, yeah, it was McDavid was in draft year. It, was, it went McDavid, Eichel, uh, right. then, then, then Strom, Marner. And, and, and Debrinkit was there too. Uh, that, was, that, was a, that was a great area Otters team to watch. So that would be the kind of minor differences. But I think Geeky is... I think there's a chance he can go like third, fourth, fifth overall. Like I'm not, I don't think it's a lock, but I think there's a chance he can go in that range. But I would guess doing a mock draft, he's probably more five to ten. Okay, all right. Um, moving to some of the team white defensemen, and they had a really good cluster of them uh, on that team on the back end with Pavel Minchikov from Saginaw, uh, Denton Matejuk, Owen Pickering out of the Western League. Um, who popped to you out of that group, and and, and what did you see uh, from from them? Yeah, he's not the guy I have the highest rated among the group in terms of NHL potential. But I thought Denton Matejchuk had a very strong game. I thought, you know, this is a guy who is a, an offensive-driven defenseman. You know, he's 5'10", 5'11". You know, he defends well enough because he's a very good skater, but it's not going to be his what he will be known for if he has a successful NHL career. It will be his offense. And I think he showed how he can use his skating uh, uses offensive mind. He jumped up into into the play a lot to create offense several times, shorthanded, mind you. <laughs> um, it was like one time I thought where he got caught and it, and it resulted in a chance coming the other way. Uh, but overall, I thought he had a very positive game. Uh, Owen Pickering, uh, his his D man pair. I really like this player, but I thought he had had uh, just an okay game. Like he was, he, he did he 
he wasn't bad, but he wasn't great. I think he did he 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 kept his game simple. He was just retrievals, breakouts, didn't try to do anything too fancy. Which when you're six four and you can skate well, I think is all you really need to be a second, third pair defenseman in the NHL. But but I didn't think he he stood out. Mintikov thought had some good moments. Uh, his his deep partner Tristan Luneau, you know, I thought did some good things with the puck. Feet still look kind of heavy. That was that's the concern going forward. Is he is he for sure going to be a first round pick? I can't say right now that that's a for sure thing with Tristan Luneau. And that and that I mean this is why Team White won is their deep. Their defense was so much better than Team Red's defense. Because even that third pair of Matt Lindgren and Noah Warren, I thought, still did some pretty good things. Uh, talking to scouts uh, over, over the last couple of days, there's you know, d- definitely a lot of attention on both. Uh, you know, whether it's Lindgren versus Lindgren, different players. Lindgren's a very offensively driven player, small defenseman. Noah Warren, 6'5", skates really well, competes hard. Uh, I, I think, so. I mean, just that their entire blue line was really impressive. Yeah, I mean, and, and from this grouping, like it's not—I don't think it's inconceivable that you could see Pickering. I don't, uh, and sorry, Minchikov. I don't know about Pickering creeping into that top. I mean, maybe maybe fifteen, a little safer than ten, but a couple of those guys could go in that in that high range in the first round. Yeah, I mean, I think you know you're looking at I think most of the defensemen that will go in the first round in this draft outside of the Europeans and David Yurchak. I mean, even yeah, yeah. I think you know whether it's Owen Pickering, Pavel Minchikov, Kevin Korchinski. Uh, Denton Matejchuk, maybe Tristan Luno. Uh, I mean, these are the guys who are the first round candidates. If you just look around the world and say, well, who else is going to go? Because there's not really any really, you know, there's maybe one good candidate in the United States, Sam Rinzel, with in high schools, and maybe um, you go to Europe. It's there's 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 some other there's some maybes like maybe Elias Salomonson from from Sweden. Although I I would say he hasn't had quite that year. So I mean, I think you look at those blue lines on Team Right. Team Red, particularly Team White, I think that's going to be at least what the what the industry thinks are the long NHL career defensemen in this year's draft. You mentioned uh, Matejchuk jumping up into the play, and one of those plays he did ultimately ended up setting up a Nathan Gauthier goal. And Gauthier was one of the guys who popped for me. I, I liked his game in this one. I thought his skating looked good uh, or or better, uh, and, and I thought he was really you, you could see the complete package. He's he's a pretty well rounded player, and, and obviously he gets the finish on the goal. What did you see out of Gaucher, and, and where's he at at this point in the year? I, I agree on Gaucher. I, I thought he was very apparent throughout the whole game in a positive way. You know, he's six foot three, center, very physically developed as a late birthday. You, know, you show he can win battles along the boards in front of the net. I, I thought you know he's not the most dynamic offensive player I've ever seen, but I thought he showed some flashes of skill. There was that one rush he kind of um, inside out at a defenseman, created yep. created a play at the net, scored the goal, worked hard. The offense isn't amazing. I think he's got something like 40 points in 49 games this year, and the Q was a point of game in his previous season. But I don't think this is ever going to be a guy that's going to dazzle you with his offensive ability. But I think there's enough offense there to go with the the size, the athleticism, the work ethic, that I think he could be a third-line center in the NHL. And that's not a bad thing. Third-line centers, are, as we discussed on this podcast before, are very valuable. I think if you look at the trade market, such as the one that just happened a couple couple days ago, third line centers are you know are really valuable. You can argue Andrew Kopp on the on the New York Rangers yep. is a third line center, and he he got a really significant package uh, for Winnipeg. So I guess I, I think Gauthier's probably a late late 
second half of the first first rounder right now. I don't know if he'd go in the first half of the first rounder, not really scoring that much this season, but I do think he's a, re- a strong prospect. And then the last guy, uh, Ty Nelson, uh, I don't want to call him the, the lone man on Team Red there, but um, I, maybe the, the best defender on Team Red in this game. Yeah, I, I think I would have as a prospect Kevin Korczynski right above him. I thought Korczynski had, didn't have his best game. He had some couple of good moments, a couple of tougher moments there too on the defending side. But I thought Ty Nelson played very, very well. Thought he used his skating well. He, he moved the puck well. I thought you know he showed he can you know he's a, he's a very impressive junior player because he because he has the competitiveness, he has the skating, he has good offense. I'm not sure it's great offense, but it's good offense. And I think he did a lot of positive things. I think there's been a lot of debate among Ty Nelson in the scouting community this season because I think you look at a guy who's barely five foot ten and has the talent that I mentioned, has the skating. Has some offense. He competes hard. The question is, what does he project as into the National Hockey League? Is there enough offense there to be a power play guy in the National Hockey League, even if it's a second power play guy? And I'm not sure if he, if he will. He's got 48 points in 57 games this year. It's not usually indicative of a guy who's going to be a power play guy in the National Hockey League. Just watching him, I would say he's skilled, he can, smart, he can move, but it's not exceptional. So the question is, can he defend? Can he be a penalty kill guy? And again, he's 5'10". Not a whole lot of 5'10 guys fill that role in the National Hockey League. Doesn't mean he can't, but I think that's why I talk to... not. I, there are some NHL scouts I talk to who really like Ty Nelson. But there's quite a few as well, I would say more than the ones who do like him, who are skeptical of him being a top two round pick for those reasons I just stated. Relative to Lane Hudson, where would you have him today? They they would be close. I think Lane Hudson's kind of fallen off here a little bit in the second half. I would still have Lane Hudson ahead because I think his his sense, his brain sure. is among the best in the draft, and I I still think it's worth a shot there. But yeah, you know, on that team, I think Seamus Casey's outplayed Lane Hudson lately. Hmm. Casey's been hurt the last couple of weeks. Let me slide one more in here, and then this this guy was not on my radar at, at all, and and that, you know I, I looked at his numbers after the game and. Um, you know, not a lot there, but the game that Reed Dick had was really good in net. I'm just curious, did he put himself on any radars with, with the performance that he had um, in the second half of that game for Team Red? I mean, he, he did play very well. It's in goalies can get hot in the yeah. in, a, in a span of a period or two, but this is a really bad draft class for goaltenders. So any goaltender grabbing your attention uh, is a positive thing. And the one other player I want to draw attention to would be Jagger Fergus. Yeah, so how would I forget? Yeah, who was a player of the game for, for Team White. I believe uh, NHL Central Scouting is going to elevate him to a first-round grade. Uh, having a very strong season in Moose Jaw, I think he has something like 70 points in 60 games or something along those lines. Not a guy who... 75 points, actually. He has a really good skill level. He's intelligent. He can really shoot the puck. You saw that in the goal. He's, I've seen him score goals like that throughout the season in the Western League. 5'10", not, you know, good, not great skater, but but good enough, you know, and the scoring level have this season has been quite significant. Scored well as a 16-year-old as well. Um, looks like an interesting prospect right now. Potentially has a, I'm not sure he'll go in the first round, but I, I can see him being a second rounder. Production not that far behind like a Matthew Savoy in, in that league. And, and he was buzzing last night. And, and I'm, I'm sorry that I left him off. I had him on my list. I just skipped over him when I went to the defenseman. But um, yeah, really, really strong season for him. Uh, and, and sounds like a potential late first rounder. 
Yeah, no, I'm not sure just because he's 5'10 and not like an amazing skater. I'm not sure if he will for sure go in the first round, but yeah, but he's definitely in the conversation. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, Corey, uh, let's get in now to, to the trade deadline recap. I know you you went big time. You guessed it in on the live show on Monday with Ian Mendez. So I'm, I'm playing second fiddle here and, and I, I try not to have you repeat yourself too much. Um, but I know to start off, I know you're always a big fan when uh, when teams take the mantra of flags fly forever. Uh, at least we're in their position to reasonably take that position. And, and this right. year there were two teams um, that did that in, in well, three teams. We, we've come to expect it from Tampa and they go get Brendan Hagel. But I think Florida and Colorado really pushed in big stacks of chips here. What did you think of, of that from them? Yeah, I really like what Colorado did just because they were the clear favorite coming into the into the year. Uh, to get Josh Manson kind of complements the very skilled defenseman that they have, presuming if their blue line gets healthy and, you know, if they get fully healthy to go, you know, if they have now if McCarr and guys like Gerard and Byron, to, you, know, you add like a guy like a Josh Manson who adds a little bit more grit. Like that's a great guy to add there on your second or your third pair. You bring in Arturi Lekanen kind of like in the same vein where you have all this skill in your top six and then you add a guy who, has skill but can provide a little bit more compete penalty killing ability there and, and onto your third or fourth line to go with some secondary offense. Uh, you know, I like that. To do that, they had to trade two very good young defense prospects, Justin Barron and, and Drew Hellison, guys who are big, mobile, right-handed defensemen who can move the puck good enough that I think will become good NHL players. Those are tough pieces to lose. But they didn't empty the farm system. There's still some guys left. Uh, they still have some draft picks in future years to either use themselves or use in in future deadlines. So I really like what Colorado did. Florida is an interesting one. I I like in theory what they did. I mean they you know just because just because a guy like Claude Giroux wanted to come there and they were able to get him for a fairly good price. You know, I I like Ben Sherrod. I think he's going to help that team out. But they paid a really big price of that deadline. And I think, not surprisingly, I thought they were the best team in the Eastern Conference before they made those moves. I obviously think they're the best team in the Eastern Conference now by a, by a larger margin. But if they don't win this year, you look at what they have left in their organization, they don't have a lot of pieces left to use in future deadlines. You're looking basically at Mackie Semiskevich, their first-round pick from this past season. Had a, he's had a nice year in Michigan, not a great year, but a not good enough year. Maybe Grigory Denisenko if he bounces back at some point in the American League. But, but they don't have a first-round pick right now to, until 2025. So I think they have a very good chance to win this season. 
But I mean, you look at like Dom's model. I think he gives him like a fifteen percent fifteen percent chance at the cup, which is the second best odds he gives any team. But it's not fifteen percent is not great odds. So if they don't win, it's it's going to put that organization in a tough spot. I think going forward. Well, here's what I like about it for Florida is that I think they realize the bargain that they have Jonathan Huberto at. Um, and, and I think ultimately, really, they've given themselves two cracks at this. Giroux is only a one-year rental, but most of their other big guys are under contract for next year as well. So they've given themselves – Sherrod's um, a rental, I think, too, right? Yes, Sherrod is a rental. That's Yes, that's correct. Um, most of their big guys, though, are, are at least one more a year. And I think that gives them a couple cracks at this before the Piper gets paid and, and – that really, that means Jonathan Huberto gets paid. Um, but so much of this for them is going to come down to net. I mean, it's Sergei Bobrovsky. Uh, you, you know, you went out and you paid him the big money to be a a, gay, a series winner in the playoffs, and he's thirty three sure. years old. Um, I, you know, as with all guys of that age, I'm really concerned how that's going to age two, three years from now. This year, I think he's played good enough to think that he can do it, and I think you've seen enough from Spencer Knight to think even if he if, if Bobrovsky falters, you've got at least a prayer that Knight could come in and do it instead. He was really good in last year's playoffs, but they've got themselves, I think, two years. Yeah, Spencer Knight started off really – really didn't start well this season. He's been yep. better I, the last month or two, I think. I also get it from Florida's perspective. If you, if you look like all the way you know, not higher than management towards like the ownership perspective – when was that time this team won a playoff round? What was it like the, the mid late nineties? I have no idea. I don't remember it. I think, I think their last playoff win was like 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 was the John Van Beesbrook years, uh, which was a while ago. I can look it up right now as we're talking about it. But like, I if, if you from that perspective, if if you know, if if you really never have not won even like a playoff round in forever, I can see. Where, where that would come into play. Yeah, just looking it up. Their last playoff one was 1996. So uh, that was a long time ago. Yeah, no, it was. And, and you're competing with your in-state rival who's off back-to-back Stanley Cups. So um, I, how would you tier, I guess, these these three teams? Tampa, Florida, Colorado went all in this year. I mean, I, there's no one the only contenders. Carolina's a really strong contender. They didn't make quite the same all-in push. Toronto didn't make quite the same all-in push. How would you tier – and, and rank the, these these three teams right now. I, I think Colorado is on a tier by themselves. Interesting. Both because of talent and because of the path they're going to have to face to get to the Stanley Cup final. The East is a tougher gauntlet. I think if you put Florida and Colorado in a best of seven by themselves, I think they're fairly similar. But I would argue the Eastern Conference is a lot better than the Western Conference. And it doesn't mean that Colorado is for sure going to you know, they haven't had a ton of playoff success, so we'll see whether this group gets it done or not. But at least on paper, they look like they should have an easier path to the Stanley Cup Finals. Yeah, I do get that. I, I think that's true. I think if you're picking the Stanley Cup Final right now, you're a heck of a lot more confident saying Colorado is in it than either of the other two are in it. Um, I, I do like the way both of the Florida teams match up with Colorado, though. I, I think they're going to be able to play them heavy. I think you're going to be able to play them fast. I think that's a really big advantage and a testament to both of those GMs that have built teams that don't have to play just one way in the playoffs. Yeah, no, I, I tend to agree. I, I, like I said, I, I like really like both of those teams, and but you know, I would say those are the two best teams in the East. I, I don't think Toronto and Carolina are that far behind. Boston's had on a good, yep. good run right here. Technically, the Rangers are ahead of a couple of those teams in the standings. Uh, but, you know, it's goaltending yep. built team. 
historically those don't tend to have the success to go to the Stanley Cup final, but but sometimes they do. Sometimes goaltenders carry a team to the end. It, it happens. You I mean you saw last year Carey Price did, did some did some really nice things in the playoffs. So it, it's possible. But but yeah, I would say I would probably agree with you that the, the two Florida teams just look like the two contenders right now. One question I was going to ask you is what you know we talked about with Colorado and Florida teams that looked like they were contenders. You know, so they, they kind of go all in. What did you think of a team like Boston trading like a big price for Hampus Lindholm, given that they were probably in a secondary tier contender right now? And I love Hampus Lindholm. I think he's an awesome player. You know, big, really mobile, has some secondary offense, can play tough minutes. But they paid a big price and a big contract for him. And I'm not sure he by himself gets them into that top tier of contenders. Yeah, Boston is a team that is in one of the, I think, least enviable positions that, that a team can be in, which is that you still have really franchise-defining, like like generationally defining players for your franchise um, that are playing at the peak of their powers, and that being right. Patrice Bergeron in this case, um, Brad Marchand still right there. Pasternak. Right. Well, Pasternak's young. Like you got a lot left there, but but you know you don't know how many more years of Patrice Bergeron you're going to get. And... Do I think Boston can win it this year? I don't. But I do understand why they want to give themselves every chance to win it. Yeah. They, 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 they have a prayer. To win. Like, you know, I, if they get to a best of seven with Tampa or, or, or whatever, yes, the, Tampa would be the favorite. But I think yep. they've, got, they've got a puncher's chance. They do because they have these guys that we're talking about at the top who have done it, who have been there. Um, I, I do think they helped their blue line. I, I, you know, I think they needed to do that after losing Chara and Krug in the past couple of years. Um, and, and I think that works, but I do think ultimately um, for them to give up, you know, they, they were able to hang on to a couple of their top prospects, but they ultimately give up a first round pick and that, that you know, that could be a pick that hovers right around 20 and, and that can still be pretty valuable. So I, I think I, I respect them for doing it. I, I think it's a good thing for the game that they did it. Um, I, I don't know that they're going to ultimately be able to to get really, I think they'll probably get out of the first round uh, depending on who they match up with. Oh, they probably won't because they won't match up with Toronto. So this, this could be a first-round exit for them, uh, and, and we'll see <laughs> so, how that goes. Egging on the Toronto fans. Uh, <laughs> what did you think of all the future draft picks that got moved at this deadline? There, was a lot, it was, there wasn't a lot of 22 first-rounders that got moved. But there was, there was yeah. a lot of 23 top two-round picks, even some top 2024 top two-round picks that were getting moved which I thought was a lot more than we've seen in previous years. Well, I, I was trying to wrap my head around this. Like, do, did I think this was something that was just because sellers wanted these, or because what the buyers had? When you look at a team like Florida that has traded so many first-round picks, I think that has to be part of the answer. There is like at, at some point you're dealing with a lot of teams that are all in, and, and so you, you look at Tampa and they're trading multiple firsts, right? Obviously, one of those has to be a future first. Florida's trading two future firsts at this deadline because they already traded one for Sam Reinhart. So. Um, I thought it was really interesting. I thought it was really ballsy because there are some teams here where you, you know, I, I know you mentioned this on the, on the live show, but Florida, I, you know, by giving up a 2024 first round pick, that is after whatever the Huberto extension is going to look like. This roster could look quite a bit different in 2024 as any team's roster could look different two years from now. You don't know if you're, I mean, you think you're a playoff team, but it can change fast for you. I thought it was pretty ballsy. Yeah, and from a Flyers perspective, obviously they had their hands tied, you know, been publicly reported yep. several places. Giroux wanted to go to Florida. But that, you know, let's just say Florida's you know they don't they don't bottom it. Let's just say they're an average NHL team thousand twenty four, yep. which I think they still could be a pretty good team then too. Let's just say hypothetically they're an average NHL team, so picking like around sixteen, eighteen, something like that. Yep. 
that player realistically is making your lineup in 2027, 2028, roughly around that. That's a long time from now. The chances of the man, the, the chances of the general manager acquiring that pick still being there. Nothing. It's not even a comment on Chuck Fletcher. Just, just based on numbers and yeah. history, is low. So it's. I found that interesting. You know, I, I also like always like to read online and see speculation about how next year's draft is always better than this year's draft. That's yeah, always, right. that's always the case. I heard about this year's draft. You know, we were doing we were doing last year's draft coverage. I remember too. this. Yes, and, and, and the year before that one, and, and, you know, and on, so on and so forth. But yeah, well, it, was the three, it was the three-headed monster of Wright, Savoy, and Lambert. Of which, you know, the, at least two thirds of that is held up pretty good as potential, you know, top six, seven picks. But um, you know, it's it, it's just tough. To, these are young kids, and it's tough yeah. to project. But I think you're betting on the variance if you're Philly, right? If you're if you're one of these teams that took a pick one or two years down the road. What you're excited about is you don't, you know, you think it's still going to be a late pick, but if you take a 2022, you pretty much know it's a late pick. Anaheim knows sure. Lawson's pick is is going to be 20 or later. You don't right. know for the 2023 or 2024s. Right. There's also kind of a time value of money type of thing there too, where yes. a pick later just takes more time for you to get it kind of thing, which yep. is a variable. If you're a rebuilding team, you want players sooner, not later. Because eventually you don't want to suck anymore. So, you know, that, that's, that's always a variable. And like with 2023, like yes, there's those three really good players that we all know about: Connor Bedard in Regina, Adam Fantilli in Chicago, Monte Mitchkov in Ska. But like when I read all this cover about like how the 23 draft is going to be amazing, I'm like, really interesting. I don't, I'm not aware of that, but that's interesting that everyone else seems to know what next year's draft class is going to look like a, a year and a half out. Uh, you know, I'm still we're still we're still trying to figure out this year's draft class. The there has been no international competition among the U7, among the O5 age group to like really like sort that out a little bit actually, but not that much. So it's you know it's hard to project future draft classes. It's something I've always said. I think some of it is just tends to be influenced by the kids who are late birthdays and who get bumped back a year. Like you look you look at like a Straymol or Leo Carlson in Sweden, and so they they play. In the SHL a year early, and you go, oh wow, Dalbor Dvorsky. Uh, Dvorsky might actually be a true. He's an 05. Okay, he's an 05. But Nate, Nate Danielson, a late 04, is really good too. Brandon WHL. Like, yeah. I, I, I think there are some guys next year's draft, like just because they're in the top. Bedard, Fantilli, Mishkov look like studs. But things could happen a year from now. Like, what's going to get from a year from now, and Mishkov just can't get it done in the KHL? I think it would surprise me if it does happen that way, but let's just say we get a year from now, he just can't break through with Ska. And, and can't find a meaningful role on a, on a, since they're a great, typically great KHL team. What if Fantilli goes to Michigan and just doesn't have the big year or something like that? Yeah, that it could it just changes the picture. Things happen just like this year. Brad Lambert just lays a complete egg in Liga, and I love Brad Lambert. I love parts about Brad Lambert, anyways. And, but 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 those things happen, and, and then Uri Slavkovsky kind of rises, and the picture changes a lot in, year to year for for these age groups both during the draft years and after the draft too. I mean, you look at the last year's draft, where does Luke Hughes, how does Luke Hughes slot now? You know, you could, somebody, you can argue he, he outplayed Owen Power for stretches of the season. Yeah. Well, let's talk about some of the teams that are going to be heavily interested in, in those drafts and, and what they did at this deadline. Um, a couple of first-year GMs in Pat Verbeek, first-time GMs, not even first year. They've been on the job for literally months, if not less. Uh, Pat Verbeek in Anaheim and, and Ken Hughes in Montreal um, both got – just huge uh, asset hauls in, in exchange for some painful decisions. I mean, um, you, you look at Ken Hughes giving up Lekkanen and, and Sherratt, but you look at Verbeek dealing Lindholm and Raquel. 
Um, these are not Josh Manson, you know, these were guys who, who'd meant a lot to those franchises and ultimately, uh, it, it sets up a couple more years of, of hardship for both of those, those, both of those franchises. Yeah. Anaheim was the one that was the toughest one, I think, for probably for the, the fans. I think Montreal fans knew they were a bad team. They're selling. Yeah. That's the way it goes. But Anaheim had a, had a decent year. Like, I know they're not making the playoffs, but they, they were in the, in the hunt there for a little bit. They looked like they could at least, they were, they were close. If maybe you get, if you can extend one or two of these guys at a little bit in the offseason, the young guys develop, like Trevor Zegers, Jamie Drysdale, Mason McTavish comes in next season. You can start building around this. And now, I still really like the, that was all those young players I mentioned, but it just takes, it's going to take that much more time because Anaheim, historically, is not, even though it is California, it, historically, they don't draw the premium free agents like the Kings do. Uh, so that's good. I think it's just going to be take more time there to build this team. Even though I do say I do like the core there, I just without some significant external additions, it's hard to see them a playoff team in like a year or two. Well, here's what's interesting to me is is now you look at the way that they're built. I mean, the next question is obviously going to be John Gibson, yeah, who's say that, yeah. 28 and has a long term deal. Um, but you look at some of the way that they're built. You know, they're going to have down the middle. Mason McTavish and Trevor Zegras. They're going to have on the blue line, Jamie Drysdale, uh, Owen, Owen Zellweger is having a really good year. And, and now you had Drew Hellis. And I think you could probably use one more um, big young D there, but you still have Cam Fowler in the picture. Mm-hmm. Really right now, Anaheim's in a position where you have some of the hardest positions nailed down, pending what happens with Gibson, pending you know, how some of these guys develop. You know, I, I don't want to get too far ahead of my skis on Zellweger or Hellison, for example, who, who, you know, let's say they're, but let's say they can be a second pair for the Ducks one day. Right. You, you have a, a lot of pieces there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I like a lot of the pieces they have, the young players, especially, I think they've done a very good job at the draft, as that team has historically done for a very long time. But just saying, when, when you lose, particularly Lindholm and Raquel, and Manson, those were really important players, particularly, you know, Manson's kind of fallen off a little bit in recent years, but definitely, you know, Hampus Lindholm's, I mean, this guy, you picked him, whatever, the fifth, sixth overall about 10 years ago. He was everything you wanted him to be when you picked him that high. That's a tough guy to lose and not easy to replace. And I think Jamie Drysdale one day could potentially hit that level, but he's not there yet. Yeah, and, and and that's going to be the growing pains for that team in the next couple of years is that, yes, you kept on to your core guys, but you, you lost some of the guys who were helping to stabilize you, who were really putting you in that contention that you were in for a playoff spot um, in, in the Pacific Division. So um, it, I do think it's going to be a couple of tough years there, but I, I think just the way that, that they already have it structured, you, know, you get a couple of good guys in the draft, you, you know, we'll see what they can do this year, but they're going to have an opportunity if they want to get another really good D if they want to get another winger, it seems like based on where they're picking to do that. And so at that point, wingers are the easier thing, I think, to, to find in free agency. I know yeah. you talked about you got to lure them, but they are the easier one to find. Yes. So I, I think their their track isn't so long. Montreal looks like it's going to be a long slog ahead, but they did well with what, with, with what they're able to get this year. Yeah, I think Montreal, teams like Montreal, teams like Chicago are in different positions because one is because they have so much more room to grow. They have to yeah. actually get the young assets in place. They've got a couple. Like Montreal's got Nick Suzuki, Cole Caulfield. Yeah. Chicago's got you know Kirby Doc and a couple other guys. But there's a lot more pain ahead, particularly since Chicago does not have a first-round pick in this year's draft, which is very painful for a team that's rebuilding and bottomed out this season. 
but also because they are, you know, big market teams, there there are certain advantages to being a big market team. That when the you know you look at like say the the New York Rangers quote unquote rebuild that they were rebuilding for a couple of years and then just happened to get Adam Fox for for nothing and Artemi Panarin walked walk through their doors. You know, a team like Chicago will have those kind of advantages when when they're ready to kind of turn the corner. Like you know, I actually didn't mind the Seth Jones trade if they were a contender. Seth Jones wanted to go to Chicago. He's a great player. Just wasn't the right time to make that move for where they were as an organization. If Colorado would have made that move, it would have been different. But Chicago, who didn't make the playoffs last season, it was kind of a weird move. But but like you know, those big market teams can draw in those those kind of premium talents when it's time to win. So I don't think their rebuilds will take forever. But if you're definitely looking at at least four to five years of pain, I think, for both of them ahead of And the obvious question here is, what does this mean for Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane, who obviously have sure. a say in what it means for Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane. Both of them have no move clauses. Um, but that span, it just is hard to fathom. It's hard to fathom the Blackhawks being good again in, in time for these guys to be playing any kind of really meaningful role on, on that team. Seth Jones as well. Yeah, I mean he's younger than those guys, but but you're right. I mean he's in his prime right now. He's 27. Um, he'll turn 28 later this year. It's I, yeah. I, I love the comment that Tays gave to uh, to our to our colleague Mark Lazarus when after Hagel got traded, and he's like, "Man, if he's not part of the rebuild, yeah, you know, you know who is exactly that guy's 23 years old." Well, I, I just wonder, like you know, the the freight that both of those two guys carry is significant. I think sure. you, you're going to have teams, particularly for Patrick Kane who will uh, probably figure it out to, to do what it takes if that becomes an option for them. You know, We'll see how many teams that becomes an option for, if it becomes an option for anyone. Um, what do you think kind of return the Blackhawks could get, though? And, and what is how do you weigh that cost? Like, let's say you can get a, a haul similar to, uh, maybe a little better than what, than what Florida got for Giroux, um, but it's Patrick Kane, a guy who defined an era for your franchise. Yeah, I mean, you don't see a whole lot of those trades typically happen for for, for those reasons. So there's you know, there are all kinds of, of factors that go into that. You know, it's the fact that it that they meant so much to the Blackhawks is probably that 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 they, Chicago means so much to them. It's become their home, become a place where they've kind of become entrenched, become icons to some extent. Those are very hard discussions, but it, it'll come down to the players on whether on how much they they want to win, and, and I don't know their contract situation off the top of my head, how many years they have left. One more after this year. Yeah, so maybe, you know, you could get those kind of similar prices. You know, Tay's still a very good player. He's not what he once was, but he's still a very good player. Kane's an excellent player. So, I mean, they could, you know, they could kind of fetch those kind of big prices for sure. And, and Chicago needs that. You look at their farm system right now. They, they aren't, yes, they got the first round picks from Tampa, which are great. Probably going to be later first, but, but but still great to get those assets. You look at their farm system now, and there really isn't much coming of the premium variety. So you're you're happy with what you, what you see of Kirby Doc in the NHL. Not didn't have the big year this year, but still a very talented player. But you remember, like last year, they, tr- they traded their first round pick. That I believe that was the pick that ended up becoming Cole Sillinger. If I'm, you know, so you know they get Nolan Allen late in the first that year. He's been fine, but you you. It's hard to see the path forward for them becoming contenders, not going to be contenders, like making the playoffs anytime in the near future, given just how few future assets they have in their system. 
Should be interesting. All right. Um, I guess just to, to wrap up on Montreal, Justin Barron, what, what are they getting in him as a player? And obviously a, a first round pick, uh, in 2020, a player who looks like he can be, uh, you know, a upper part of the lineup defenseman. Um, but how does he figure in for them? Yeah. I mean, he's played, I think, quite well as a rookie pro when he played with the Colorado Eagles. You know, big, really mobile defenseman as, as a right shot. You know, obviously that's really attractive right away. I think he makes a good first pass. I think the offense is probably secondary in the NHL, but it'll be good enough. Like I think he could be a second pair defenseman in the NHL. I don't think the offense is good enough to be a, a legit top pair defenseman. He's an excellent prospect, though. So and he definitely becomes one of the best prospects in their system, probably behind Caden Gooley, but not so far behind Caden Gooley. So they've got some promising D prospects in their system. They'll have those two. You've got Romanov up in the NHL, even though he hasn't had the start to his career that you, they probably hoped he would. To go with the young players like Suzuki, like Caulfield, it's a start, and you you know they'll have they'll have you know they'll bring in a great prospect this year, whoever it is, whether it's a Shane Wright, Yuri Sykovsky, Logan Cooley, you know one of the top two defensemen, Yurchek or Nemich, you know we'll see. So they're in a good position to at least start the rebuild, but. They need a lot more than that. Like, you know, those are you know to build a competitive hockey team in the NHL. You need a couple, more than just a couple of good players. You need a lot of good players. Uh, so I I still think there's quite a few years of pain ahead for Montreal Canadiens. Ten picks in the first four rounds this year. Seven in the first three should be, should get them off to a good start. But yeah, it's going to take a couple of those. And, and they've already started stockpiling for next year. Like you said, they, they've got the 2023 first. Uh, from Florida as well. So they've had quite a few of those in recent years. They've had some quite a few drafts in the yeah. last like ten years. They've had a ton of picks, but it doesn't always work out. And yeah, you just you kind of have to hope for the best sometimes when you, when, the, when you're in those situations. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream Directv satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on Directv with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on Directv makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. Directv has the most MLB games. Visit Directv.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. 
is as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. All right, Corey, let's wrap up uh, with a mailbag here today. Not a super long one, but a few good questions here. Uh, Ernie Morris wants to know about Kent Johnson and if you think he's ready for the NHL this year after his season ends at Michigan. Obviously, the NCAA tournament starting this weekend. Uh, and, and obviously, you can sign at the conclusion of your season. You could sign right now if you want it, but we, we anticipate he uh, he signs at the end of the season. Yeah, I I think he will sign. I think he will play games for Columbus. I'm, I'm not sure from watching this season if he's ready to help the Blue Jackets in a, in a meaningful manner just quite yet. Maybe he has a big summer, physically develops a lot more. I still think he's kind of kind of lean. You know, he's kind of on the fringe there. You know, he's an excellent, excellent player. You know, he was fifth overall pick for a reason. Maybe he didn't have the huge, huge year scoring wise you expected, but still put up re- really good numbers. You know, off the chart skill level. I could see it working, but I could also see him struggle a little bit in his first full year. Maybe have to get to American League time, but but he's close. I think the one thing I, I was talking about with some scouts uh, the other day is you know. Does Luke Hughes look like a guy who can jump in right away? You know, I think the plan there was for him to go play two years in Michigan, but with the year he had, I think I think there's going to be some decisions to make in New Jersey. We have seen two years be kind of the, right. the route for the college defenseman. I mean, McCarr did it, Hughes did it, McAvoy, Howard did it, McAvoy, um, That's right. So that that has seemed to be the way, but. Yeah, I mean, you, you put up a season like that, you you do kind of change the question a little bit. The last, I think, big D prospect to go to do one and done was was Jacob Chuba at Michigan. Yeah, and Noah Hannafin. Yeah, I mean, the, to to circle it back on Johnson, uh, the guy I I kind of can't ever separate uh, him from is, is Trevor Zegers, and Trevor Zegers, uh, obviously, he his freshman year of college ended in the COVID year. So he couldn't go right up, but he did split, like you said, between the NHL and AHL the next year. Trevor Zeger is a little thicker. Like he's a little sturdier build than Kent Johnson, which maybe even adds a little bit to the point about some AHL time, but that would not surprise me if that's Johnson's path, like maybe come up and and see what it's about this year, get a taste for, for where the bar is in the NHL and then start in the AHL and and work his way up at some point in, in the next season. Right. And Zegers was really good in the American league. So I think that was was. a really good experience. Like he he looked awesome in those games and yeah, I I can see that being a path for Ken Johnson for sure. He's close. It's just like, I'm not saying he's not ready, but I think he's on the, he's on the fringe for me. He had a really, uh, really nice one-timer goal in the big 10 championship game the other day. And I think that's a a really nice, you know, he's always been able to shoot the puck obviously, but the more that he can, you know, have that kind of diverse offensive attack because the playmaking is so good. The skill is really good, but the, but the creativity and the sense is really good. Uh, the more that he can complement that by being a true shot threat as well, that's only going to help the whole package play up. I think the tournament will be a big test for him too. I think, you know, the Big Ten yeah. had, some, had some good teams, but I think presuming we're recording this on Thursday, tournament start, they start the tournament on Friday, presuming they beat AIC, which if they don't, that'd be a whole, that'd be a whole thing. But yep. presuming they beat AIC and they go deeper in the tournament, you know, if they end up facing someone like a Man- Minnesota State Mankato, if they end up facing Minnesota Duluth, those would be teams that play a more pro-style heavy game that would kind of be the obstacles that he would need to face at the higher levels. If yep. he did well versus those kinds of teams, I think it would be a good indicator. 
Yeah, I think that's a great point. Uh, JP Claremont, how do you see Connor? We talked about this guy earlier in the show. How do you see Connor Geeky long term as a pro? His package seems quite intriguing. You think he could be a steal in terms of his impact on a team's lineup? Big man, good hands, great vision. There's not a lot of players like that. Yeah, no, I think Connor Geeky is a protected top two line center in the National Hockey League. I think you know, he's a top. He's been a top ten guy for me all year. Still is in terms of the talent level in the draft. Uh, I don't. I don't predict him as a one because of the skating, as I mentioned earlier in the in the podcast. But I do really like the player. Um, you know, I think he can be a second line center on a really good team. I think it's because he again is six three, has a ton of skill. There is some physicality in his game. Um, you know, I, if he wasn't on the ice this year, I think he'd be putting up really big numbers. Like I, said, I think this guy's an excellent, excellent prospect. Uh, can he be a one true one C with those feet? Or is is going to be the question until until he pretty much proves it. Nick Chapman wants to know the real potential for Matthew Nyes as opposed to the fake potential for Matthew Nyes, which is what usually you you give in these questions. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> um, I mean, Matt's had an awesome year. Like, if if you were the Toronto Maple Leafs, whether the team or a fan, and and you you know you got got this guy in the second round a year ago, he had as good a year as you could have hoped for. You know, he was one of the best players in the Big Ten. Goes to the World Juniors, plays well with the U twenty team, goes to the Olympics, holds his own versus men right away. You know, big, powerful winger with a really good skill level, uh, who showed he can create and in both with his skill and with his physicality. Skate is just okay, but I, I mean, I think this is a guy who can be a top six winger in the NHL, like, and I think he has a chance to be a, a good top six winger in the, in the NHL. It was interesting. I saw a comment uh, in the Toronto kind of. Uh, trade deadline recap, but they left some roster spots open for him and Nick Abrazizi potentially to sign at the end of the year. I don't think that means. Uh, I think that I don't think they said that particularly, but I think jo- our, our Jonas Siegel wrote about that, uh, which I think would be interesting. I've heard some scouts speculate that Nice could be could could jump in right away. So I'm not saying that's going to happen, but it's something that I think is something to monitor over the next few weeks. And obviously, there are reports that. Toronto really did not want to move Nyes. And, you know, obviously you can understand why teams would ask about him after the year that he's had. So, um, you know, clearly a team that, that could have justified an all in push, but really saw the need to, to stay with this player, which I understand they got amazing value on him in last year's draft. Uh, Vincent Parento, how many defensemen do you think will be drafted in the top 10 in 2022? And how many are worth being drafted in the top 10? I think. The, the two guys you feel really confident about will be the two Europeans, Simon Nemich, David Yerichek. There are some concerns about David Yerichek because of the knee injury. had a torn knee, I believe, torn ACL um, at the World Juniors. He is back practicing right now. I think there is still hope he will play at some point before the end of the year. Maybe get into the Czech playoffs. If there's a World Championship, maybe he can go to that. So I don't think his season is over just quite yet. And I think his recovery... Is been you know he's been on track. I think they said a couple of months, and he's he looked like he's on track to come come back within that time frame. Uh, once you get past those two, I think there's some maybes. I think Pavel Mitchikov is is in the mix, a Saginaw defenseman. I'm not saying he will for sure go in the top ten, but but he is in the mix. Then I think you start getting some of the maybes. I think I've I talked to some scouts you know here and there who would mention you know Owen Pickering is a maybe. They'd mention Kevin Korczynski as a maybe, but 
I, I, but no, I would say the only two real consensus ones are, are the two Europeans. And for me, Minchikov is the is a third best defenseman in the draft. The one guy that's been kind of rising, I'm not quite there on him yet, but the one I hear from a lot of NHL teams is is the Swiss defenseman Leon Bischel uh, in Lexham. There's a lot of people out there to go watch him over the last couple yep. of weeks. Um, you know, heavy heavy hitter, decision maker types. Um, I'm not saying he's going top ten, uh, but I'm hearing you know top 20 top 15 buzz on this guy a little bit a little bit more of late all right and then uh, we will close with andy b who wants to know why teams why some teams draft better than others for the teams that have hit a, a lot more home runs in the draft what do you think is their competitive advantage is it analytics having more scouts a little bit of magic fairy dust what, what do you see it might be more the magic fairy dust than anything else to be quite honest i, I think if if anybody knew that answer they they'd find that one thing and and just do it better than everybody else. I there's a lot of luck to the draft. You know, you know, we can we can point to you know how smart Tampa was for drafting Braden Point, but then you have to remember they drafted Johnny McLeod like a couple of picks right before him. You know, it's you know, and it's not to pick on Tampa. It's just a, I can make this example you know time and time again through all the draft steals. Uh, I think. When when the Wings drafted Lidstrom, I think what he was like the third or fourth player they picked in that draft, something like that. Correct, yeah, Lidstrom third and Federer fourth. You know, it, you know, so like the draft is a lot of you know you 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 find something about a player you like, you put him on your list, but you realize there's going to be variance that things players develop in weird and wacky ways. I was talking about before in terms of projecting a draft class a year out after you draft guys, those guys change and real. Uh, significant ways. So, I mean... All those things that he mentioned help, right? I mean, you, ha- you have analytics, yeah. that helps. It's more information, more right. scouts, more yeah. eyes. That That's helps. I was going to say. That. Yes. Yeah. I, you know, I, can see, I think data is very important. I think working your ass off is very important in terms of making sure you're getting out to watch as much as you can, watch as much video as you can, get as much information as you can. You know, you know uh, there are certain stories you hear about teams that may not maybe have more chaotic processes, more systematic processes. I tend to think this, this latter makes more sense, but it's hard to say. I can't say from all the stories I've heard, all the all the draft picks I've observed, that there's this one way to do things that definitely work out. Because for every you know small skill defenseman, no, sorry, small skill player like a brain point, you have the Jacob Slavin pick, who's the exact opposite. He's the big mobile defenseman who get in the mid-rounds and becomes a stud for Carolina, which is the exact opposite of Braden Point, who was a small, slow forward at the time. He's a very good skater now in, in Moose Jaw, and he becomes this great player. So there's there's no one way to, I think, get great players, which I think adds to the chaos of the draft and what makes it exciting. And the fun of it, for sure. All right, uh, that's going to do it for us. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Athletic Hockey Show's Prospect Series. Subscribe to the Athletic Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts and get all the bonus content from our entire network. You start with a 30-day free trial, and then it's just 99 cents a month after that. Right now, you can subscribe to The Athletic for $1 a month for six months when you visit theathletic.com slash hockey show. We'll talk to you soon.